everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Modern Cotton Story, sponsored by E3 Sustainable Cotton from BASF. I'm Jennifer Crumpler, Fiber Development Manager from BASF and Manager of our E3 Sustainable Cotton Program, and I'm joined today by Bob Anishak. I'm Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jennifer. Thanks. I hope you're doing well. I am doing good. I'm doing good. Just surviving the lovely heat in uh, southeastern North Carolina and um, just trying to figure out when you hit walk outside and hit that wall of humidity and sunglasses and everything fogs up. You know, <laughs> and how, right? And how? To that. <laughs> <laughs> Makes oh, driving awesome. a little tough. <laughs> um, yeah, it does. It does. Um, well, awesome. And I'm so happy to introduce our special guest and just someone who's become someone who I just really admire, respect, and look up to for a lot of information with cotton, um, Mr. Kenny Mountain. And Kenny is a regional agronomist with us at BASF. So, Kenny, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jennifer. Thanks. I hope you're, everybody's doing well. It's good to be here. Yes, we are. And, Kenny, I'm just so excited to have you on the show today. And, um, you know, we talked about it. And really, what we want to do is just kind of give all of our listeners an update on our current state of cotton um, in the U.S. and the part of the U.S. that you cover and what's going on with it. Um, so, but before we do that, Kenny, you know, maybe kind of, would you mind introducing yourself to all the listeners and just kind of give us a little bit of your background? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm the uh, Western Region Agronomic Manager for uh, BASF, and uh, I am from uh, the Lubbock area, the High Plains area. I'm from a small town north of Lubbock called Plainview. And uh, was raised there uh, on a farm, family farm, and uh, I uh, went to Texas A&M, uh, got my master's and uh, bachelor's in entomology there, and came back to the uh, Plainview area and started a consulting business. And I did that for about 12 years. While I was doing that, I got into a lot of contract research and got to working with, uh, with the industry and uh, went back for a PhD at Texas Tech University and got a PhD in agronomy. And uh, started then uh, working for uh, Zeneca, which was one of the precursors to uh, Syngenta, and worked with them for five years as an R&D uh, representative uh, covering West Texas and Oklahoma and New Mexico. And then uh, in 2000, I went to uh, Stoneville. Uh, Stoneville at that point in time was a, a smaller company that was uh, independently owned. And um, I've made, since 2000, I've made all the various transitions through all the different companies uh, to, uh, to uh, come to BASF today, working with Stoneville and Fibermax now. And so I've, I've uh, at one point in time when I was with Stoneville, when I started out, I covered the entire Western U.S. And that was a, um, it was a tremendous learning experience to get to see all the different production practices all the way from you know, the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas, all the way up into Kansas, all the way out west into California and everything in between. So it's been a tremendous learning experience for me. It's been just a, a great experience. And um, I've, I've enjoyed working with all the all these people in cotton. And, and uh, I can't think of a better job to have, quite frankly. So that's a little bit about my background. So, Kenny, tell me, you know, a little bit about cotton, I guess, right? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Just a tad, right? Um, I was wondering for our audience um, if you could uh, talk a little bit more about your, uh, uh, the region. I know you're based out of Lubbock, but yeah. sort of the region um, and uh, uh, as well as, that, as, well as uh, 
talk about a few things that maybe maybe you're seeing in the region right now with the crop. Sure, sure. So so I will tell you a little bit about uh, the currently. I actually, you know, I'm manager for the group that covers the entire West. So we do still do what I just talked about. We go from Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. We have a team of uh, four agronomists that uh, are in Texas that uh, cover the uh, the o- Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, Texas, and New Mexico. And then I actually go out and work in Arizona and California myself and, and work with those uh, folks out there. You know, that's a we don't have as much uh, commercial uh, production out in California and Arizona, um, because a lot of obviously a lot of uh, California has gone to Pima production, and we uh, we don't have an offering in Pima, but we do a lot of seed production out in California, and we do a lot of seed production in Arizona as well. And of course, there's still a good amount of uh, commercial production in Arizona. So anyhow, we do get to experience all those different things. We have, uh, and then my team uh, works in Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. So um, I uh, I tell you this this year so far uh, we've had uh, we've had a very interesting year. Uh, we started out it was pretty uh, fairly dry in in uh, most of the area. They did start getting some rain in uh, South Texas, and and so they were able to get a good stand of cotton in South Texas, and uh, they they got things up and going, and then it turned off extremely dry. They didn't have anything. They they what was going to be such a promising crop looked like it was about to to fold. And then we started getting rain in South Texas, and it has turned out to be just a fabulous year for cotton in in South Texas. And when I talk about South Texas, I'm talking about down to the Rio Grande Valley, the Coastal Bend, which is around Corpus Christi. A lot of cotton folks are familiar with that area. It's a a very good area, good quality cotton, some of the first stuff that comes off. And then into the upper coast around the Houston area and, and then into East Texas. So our, our uh, crop in, especially the coastal bend, looks really good right now. We're very excited about that. We actually started harvesting the uh, first, uh, harvested the first bale uh, probably about two weeks ago now, I think, uh, out of uh, the Rio Grande Valley. Now, granted, that's, you know, they do the, the special things that they do trying to be the first bale. You know, they plant it as early as they can. They, they do a lot of production practices to get it as early. So there's not a whole lot of harvest going on there yet that was just the first bale but we are right at the threshold so there are uh, defoliants that are probably going out right now first of next week they'll really kick in in the Rio Grande Valley and so you know harvest is just about to kick off there the the upper coast I mean the coastal bend around Corpus Christi is just right there with that that's gonna we'll probably start seeing defoliation at the end of next week or something like that in some of the oldest uh, cotton there so that's uh, that's kind of what where we're at down there as you move into the rolling plains the rolling plains which is around the Abilene San Angelo and uh, then going around towards Midland Odessa area over there and then going back up into southwestern Oklahoma. That area, uh, large area, you know, over a million acres of cotton in that area there, that's actually some of the typically the last planted cotton in the U.S. They actually can plant all the way up until the, you know, the middle of June, the end of June, and, uh, and, and still make a good crop. And they'll delay that planting because they want to try to get um, their cotton to fruit in the, uh, be fruiting in the latter part of the summer where the heat, the biggest part of the heat has passed. 
and they still have enough heat to finish out the crop to have, you know, and they'll catch some rains and they can do a good job there with that. So that's, that's kind of weird that you start out in the Rio Grande Valley and they may be planting in February. And then you've got, you know, a few hours north of there, uh, well, several hours north of there, uh, in the uh, rolling plains. And you've got people that don't plant until, you know, late June. So you've got the whole range right there in that, uh, in Texas there. But that, that rolling plains area, uh, the dryland crop, they did get enough rain that they got a dryland crop in. However, it is really, they've had a lot of rough weather since then. They've lost a lot of that cotton due to weather events or drought. And uh, so the, the dryland crop is going to be fairly sparse in, in the rolling plains as well. Uh, the irrigated crop in there, which is not, you know, it's a smaller proportion, but the uh, irrigated crop is still doing well. And, uh, you know, we're still quite hopeful for the, for the irrigated crop. Southern Oklahoma, southwestern Oklahoma, same scenario there. As you move into the high plains, what we call the high plains, I mean, literally, it is a higher elevation. It's uh, about, you know, four or five hundred feet above the, uh, the rest of the state in terms of its uh, elevation. And very flat area. Uh, it is dry land. And uh, when I say dry land, rain fed, some people may you know, refer to it as rain fed rather than dry land, but um, it, it is uh, roughly about uh, 60, 50 to 60% of our production on the high plains up at that elevation is, is uh, rain fed or dry land and the rest of it is irrigated. A lot of that irrigation may be what we call limited irrigation. Uh, supplemental irrigation, that type of thing. It may not, you know, that means we're not able to make a, a really good yield on just the irrigation because we simply don't have the capacity. We rely on some rainfall to come in and supplement that. So uh, with that in our, our dry land crop this year is almost non-existent because we did not get the rain early on in the season. And uh, so we are, uh, you know, we, we weren't able to get the crop up and running uh, in a timely fashion. And, and so the dryland crop, very limited uh, across the high plains. And as we get into the irrigated crop, though, we've had, you know, we got most of that in and most of it has been doing okay. We had some really tough weather events, had some tremendous wind events of 70 plus miles an hour uh, that, that took out, you know, some small cotton and um, uh, did that in the southern high plains as well as the what we call the far northern high plains or the panhandle, which is up at the very top of, of the state, uh, up near uh, uh, the Oklahoma panhandle as well. And we lost a lot of cotton through there due to these wind events. Um, and subsequently since then, you know, the cotton's come along, it's, it started blooming and everything. And man, now we have hit this uh, stretch of really hot weather. We, uh, in Lubbock, we are at uh, probably, I think, our 10th day that, that we're supposed to get over 100 again and 10th consecutive day of over 100 degree temperatures. Yet, uh, two days ago in Lubbock, we were at 111 degrees. And, um, you know, there's some areas off to the east of us where it got into the, uh, uh, into the teens. 115 was the highest that I heard. And so that has been pretty stressful on the cotton. The saving grace for us is that right now, our bowl load is not that heavy because we just started blooming a couple of weeks ago. Some of it may be three weeks ago, but most of it just has just in the second week of bloom. And so the, the water demand from the plant is not all that high yet compared to what it's going to be. 
So uh, we're okay right now for the most part, but it is really, some of it has really been struggling uh, in if they have very little irrigation to, to supplement that. And so we're really in need of the temperatures to moderate, which are supposed to moderate somewhat, but we need them to really back off pretty good. And then we need some rainfall. So that's kind of where we're at in terms of the high plains. As you go out further west, into Arizona, obviously they're hot. Arizona's always hot, right? And and that's well, uh, I always think they yeah. are hot because they say, oh, it's you know, it's always like, oh, it's only a yeah. hundred and ten, and but it, it's not humidity. I'm like, yeah, I don't that's care. right. Hundred and ten is a hundred and ten. That's that's exactly right. That you know, I go out there, and you know, it's uh, it it can be pretty brutal. But those folks are, you know, they're used to it. They get up. They don't use daylight savings time in Arizona, so they, you know, it starts getting light at like you know, five o'clock, you can see to do anything. And uh, so they start early and they, you know, they knock off before it gets, you know, unbearable. And so it, it it's progressing along just fine because it's, it's, uh, you know, they have had plenty of hot weather. Um, and so that's, uh, it, it is causing some stress on the cotton, but it's, that's not new. California, good shape out there. So that's kind of the state of, uh, of the cotton across the Western U.S. right now. Wow. That's awesome, Kenny. And I, um, I'm just amazed at every time, like you were saying earlier, how um, you guys were planting cotton, you know, in June, but then they were also picked the first bale um, of fiber max yeah. and down uh, in June. So I'm just constantly amazed and um, at it. So I really do appreciate you um, kind of going through and telling us about that. And then, you know, Kenny, I think um, one thing I would like maybe for our listeners to hear from you and, you know, about your team, what you said, you know, you guys, you have the team, there's four of you guys, uh, or five really, with you out there helping in California, Arizona. Can you just maybe give us, um, you know, a little bit about some of you and your team's responsibility and what you guys do for BASF being in that agronomist role? Sure, sure. So uh, one of the one of the uh, preeminent things we do is, of course, support our uh, support the customer, support the grower. We want to be out there to. Uh, uh, you know, to answer any questions that they may have, because, you know, we see a lot of different uh, things as we, uh, in terms of production practices, in terms of uh, production issues that might arise. And so we want to be there for the grower to uh, answer any questions, any problems that they may encounter, whether that might be, you know, just a straight cultural practice, uh, irrigation practice, uh, if they might have issues with some diseases that uh, surface, some some uh, insect pests that surface, you know, nutritional things for the plant, a lot of that stuff. So we're we're there for for them to uh, to work with them. We work with our seed advisors also to give them the support and uh, and and help out any way we can there. But one of the other things that we do that takes up a uh, a lot of our time is uh, to work on variety new variety evaluation. And we call these agronomic performance trials. We have about 100 of those trials roughly across the uh, western U.S. And these agronomic performance trials, we take the, the lead germplasm that's, being, that's been developed from our uh, breeding group, and we will have those experimental varieties is what we refer to them as, the BX varieties. And we, we take those uh, experimental varieties and we put them in trials, on-farm trials, across this western area 
where we look at uh, we look at the experimental varieties along with uh, several of our commercial varieties that are standard varieties and then some of our newer commercial varieties so that we can increase the the database on the uh, information on those we plant those in in these on-farm trials uh, they're using the growers equipment um, and the grower manages them we're there to you know give our advice on it but you know it's the it's under grower conditions and we think that's really important because we want to know you know how the grower you know how they're doing it in their system and how these varieties perform in their system so we get to see that across a huge range of uh, of conditions you know it, a lot of a lot of different soil types a lot of different irrigation types a lot of different uh, fertility types and uh, you know uh, irrigation and, and rainfall as well so there's a lot of variables in there that we look at and we get to see these varieties under all those conditions and then at the end of the season we we work with the grower on harvest we get the weights off of these we get uh, grab samples of each of these varieties we gin those and get the uh, get the fiber quality off of those so we're able so that fiber quality that we get comes from an actual growers uh, management system. So it's not from, you know, a given university farm or a uh, given breeding farm where, you know, it's all, you know, everything's done very carefully specifically for that trial. This is done for the grower system. Whatever he's normally using for the rest of that field is what we get in there. So it's really good information to be able to have real world stuff about what they're doing. So we get that. We know then what the fiber quality is going to look like under all these different scenarios and what the what the yield is going to do. And so at the end of the season in December, we all get together with the breeding group and the agronomic services group, and we review all this data and we make the decision then as to whether or not we need to advance any of these experimental varieties or not. So that's a, a big part of what we do uh, as well as taking care of that. We have a lot of interaction with the breeding group. We have a lot of interaction with the trait development group as we're working with new traits and evaluating those. We have a lot of in, in, interaction with marketing and uh, uh, just all these different groups uh, where we, I, I like to look at us as being almost the extension arm of the uh, of of our industry um you know you have the extension service that takes all the breeding uh, all of the um, uh, uh, research information that they've gotten from from various systems uh uh the uh, various university systems across the u.s the extension people take that that research and they help growers apply it to their fields we're taking the stuff from the breeding and trade development groups and we get information from, you know, university research as well. We like to take all that stuff, put it together and be able to help our seed advisors uh, uh, position our varieties and uh, help the growers know how to manage these varieties, which varieties should be planted where and what practices to best make them successful. Yeah, that's awesome. Kenny, that's because su- I know, I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob. No, I was just going to say super interesting, right, Jennifer? Yeah, it really is. It's and very I think interesting. That, like, yeah. yeah, you, you kind of hit on with the breeding group and the trait group and the marketing. And I think that's what's one thing with our E3 sustainable cotton program that's so unique and different for our, our program versus others is that we do have, you know, we had uh, Corey Mills and Malin on um, an earlier podcast. And, you know, listening to Corey and our breeding team, that those 12 years it took to bring a cotton yeah. variety to a field to be able to plant it. And then, oh, wait, there's another level. And, 
you guys really, you know, go in there and look at it even more from another year or so and get the data with those um, experimental trials and, and, you know, on farm trials and grower production practices. And so just knowing even more um, and, and hearing what you guys do in the geography, I think it just kind of adds just that other level of what we're really trying to do in the sustainability practices. We're really looking at, okay, hey, what really works and makes our mm-hmm. E3 cotton um, successful. So it's exciting. Um, so I, I'm sorry, Bob, I know you had another question. Um, yeah, no worries, Jennifer. Uh, Kenny was really curious about what, what are the uh, farmers doing right now? I mean, what's the state of play? And Yeah. Uh, so, back to, um, back to Jennifer had a point, too, about sustainability. Would be oh, yeah. very interested in understanding, you know, what kind of sustainable practices are sure. they uh, involved with right now? Yeah, sure. So as far as in South Texas, where they're getting ready to harvest the crop down there, right now they're – um, you know, some of those guys, if they're irrigated, which there's not that much irrigation down there, but they may still be doing some irrigation. Um, but they are, you know, they're watching that, uh, uh, you know, the water uh, use of the crop and they are evaluating, you know, whether or not they need to put that irrigation on or not, because that's an important part of it. We don't nobody wants to uh, to waste the water that we have. It's it's incredibly precious to us, especially in the West. And so we want to make sure that the water, if we are putting supplemental uh, on, uh, that it's put on timely and that it's only in the amount that is needed to optimize our production. So we got, we, we, are very careful with that. And so that's going on, you know, if they're doing that in the South, but they'll be defoliating before long, uh, getting ready to start on that and get ready for harvest on that. As you move into the, uh, into the black lands and, and the, uh, the East part of East Texas, really there's not too much going on right now over there. Um, they are, you know, a lot of, most of that is, is uh, rain fed dry land uh, production. So they haven't been doing, they're not doing too much with regard to that. They're watching for pest uh, in the cotton to see if there's anything going on there. And that's another thing as far as sustainability, you know, growers and some people may get the impression that farmers, you know, flood their fields with pesticides to try to take care of any any uh, uh, insect pests that come up. That is very far from true because growers have adopted uh, integrated pest management in cotton for many, many years. And that is a there's a, a system where they go out, they scout those fields or they hire somebody to scout the fields for them. And they evaluate, you know, what are the beneficial insect populations out there? What's the state of the cotton out there? Is it really vulnerable to this certain insect pest that may be showing up right now? Is it really causing enough damage that it's worth the uh, worth the uh, pesticide application? So there's a lot that goes into watching that cotton crop, making sure that w- the inputs they they put on that are you know sustainable that they because you know no one can afford to put these things on you know just uh just as a precaution that's not the way it works it's done in response to an issue and so they're very careful about that as you move back up into the central part of the state uh i mean the uh, rolling plains and the high plains right now i would say that uh you know irrigation is the is the key thing and again it's even more precious for the guys on the high plains because that is uh, pulling water from from the Ogallala Aquifer, and so we've got to uh, we've got to be very careful with that. You know, we are watching how that goes out. Most of the guys that are irrigated, I would say ninety plus percent, 
uh, are either using uh, some type of uh, LEPA system, which is low energy precision application sprinkler system. And what that means is, you know, a lot of people when they see, when they think of sprinkler irrigation, they think of the, the things that you see in your yard and you've got this big spray that's going across the yard, you know, and, and going out there back and forth. That's not what we do out here hardly at all. There are very few systems that are like that. Most of these systems are, they have a hose that comes down in like every other row, the, plot, the crop is planted in a circle and they have a hose that comes down in every other row across the entirety of that uh, sprinkler system. And it has a, uh, it will have either a, sometimes we do have a sprinkle mode that goes on early in the season to cover, give full coverage of that. But then after the crop starts, get started, it switches to what they call a bubble mode. That bubble mode just lets water come out in just that, just bubbling out of that hose. And it fills up the, uh, it fills up the furrow in between there. And it has very low evaporation that way. That's what we're getting at is higher efficiency. We don't want to waste that water. We want to make sure that what water we have gets gets to the target. The other thing that is really, you know, we continue to see more and more and more acres converted to it every year is drip irrigation, subsurface drip irrigation. So what we do is we have lines that are buried in the field with emitters every 12 inches or so. And we are able to really stretch our water that way because there's virtually no evaporation from that. And so that's a, a tremendous practice that, that we've implemented uh, over the years and it continues to uh, uh, it continues to expand. It's expensive to put it in at the very, you know, for the first time. But, you know, you, uh, after you amateurize it out over the years, the lifespan of it, it works great. And it's, it, it increases production, decreases water use. It's, it's wonderful. And so we, we do that. That's one of the biggest things we do. Then, of course, we do use cover crops as much as we can. In an arid environment, it's a little more difficult to do that, but we use cover crops to try to uh, make sure that we, ca we uh, uh, catch as much rain and hold as much rain as we can in the field and, um, and then also prevent the wind from uh, having, having soil erosion as well. So that's kind of what, we, what we've got going on right now and, and some of the sustainability practices we, we have. Yeah. What are they doing over in uh, California, Arizona right now, Kenny? So in California and Arizona, ir irrigation is the, okay. the main thing right now. Now okay. they may be, uh, there, there is some, there, there may still be some, uh, uh, a few herbicide applications going on over there. Uh, to uh, you know, try to keep those those fields clean, and that's another thing. It, it is really important for us to, uh, you know, when when we keep those weeds out of there, that that keeps from we're not wasting water from from weeds being in the field. So if we keep the weeds out, it's important to do that, and it's important from a herbicide standpoint. If you do have cover crops out there, um, then and you want you're trying to maintain residue, being able to make a herbicide application over that and not put a, uh, a tillage into the field and disturb that uh, disturb that residue that's out there, that's a big thing. And so that's one of the things that herbicides allow us to do. Yeah, well, that's, um, that's exciting. And you know, Kenny, I think I need to apologize to you um, because I didn't realize I should be referring to you as Dr. Kenny Melton. Um, so <laughs> that's all right. Sorry. <laughs> You know, you have to make sure you correct me on that one, but no, I, oh, yeah. um, 
<laughs> I do no. appreciate it so much, um, you know, coming on. And, and I really think, Bob, um, Kenny has done a tremendous job. We're going to get him to come back on um, for a future episode and totally dive great. into some of the um, areas we collect data on through our partners at My Farms for E3 and sustainability measures and really give us some more deep dive educational things around it. So I think, Kenny, you just, um, whether you want to or not, you just got yourself invited back. Um, <laughs> That'll be great. That'll be great. <laughs> But no, Kenny, I really do appreciate it. And I'm, you know, like I said, I'm just always amazed to hear that everything, um, you know, you guys are doing in your team and everything our growers are doing every day to balance and to produce, um, you know, the fiber and what, what we use it for. And with cotton, you know, with fiber and food, you know, cottonseed oil, food for cattle. And sure. so I'm just constantly amazed. Um, so, but that wraps up our time today. And so I really, um, Kenny and Bob, thank you guys so much for taking the time to join us and to chat and I really love catching up with you both to hear about um, the current state of cotton in the field in July. So I'd also like to thank you, our listeners for joining us and hope you enjoyed our show. So do you have any questions about the E3 sustainable cotton program? Please email me at E3cotton at BASF.com. Thank you guys so much and see you next time. <laughs>